we, we put that at the end of every year. Now to him is able to do far abundantly more than we can ask or think. That's God working with people that love him. What a joy. This morning before we gather around the table, I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 2. Beginning verse 37, 120 people were waiting in the upper room 50 days after Passover when Jesus had met in this same upper room and established his new covenant with his apostles. He is then crucified, buried, he rose again, and then 50 days later, he's telling, he told them, you just stay here and you pray until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. And then the Holy Spirit fell upon all those that were in that room, and they broke out of that room, speaking in other languages, because from around the world, Jews had come for this Passover, and they heard the gospel. And it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Fathers, we think about this last year, Lord, we are just amazed at what you're doing We live in an adverse, perverse culture, and yet your people are standing, they are speaking, and Lord, you are working and you are blessing, and Lord, we want to continue. Lord, we want to see an amazing harvest until you call us home. Lord, we want to be found faithful. So Lord, bring us back to the basics in each one of our lives that we might be focused on you. Give us understanding of the word this morning. Lord, challenge our hearts as your children. And Lord, if there are any here who do not know you as Savior, Lord, you would draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. 35 years ago in September when I came to pastor this congregation, I was raised in a traditional Baptist church, and so worship was the three songs with announcements, and then you preached. There was an invitation, sing just as I am. Everybody go home, there would be... uh, prayer meeting on Wednesday night, which was mostly another Bible study, not much prayer. And there was youth group and those other things. But 
32 years ago, God did something with us that really we are still in awe of over. That year, over 200 college kids came to know Jesus Christ. There was no special outreach. I wasn't at the campus. God just began to save young people who were coming to our church, and then, and then they'd bring their friends that come to their church. So on uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, somebody was getting baptized. Somebody was receiving Christ. And those young people began asking, why do we do it like that? Where is that in the Bible? Paul, you say we do everything by the Bible, but where is that? And so it led us back to study again the book of Acts. Now, we are not to reduplicate everything that happens in Acts. Some of them are patterns. There are some things we should be doing. Other things the Holy Spirit did then, we don't expect those things now. But the basics, these things that are found there in verses 41 and 42, those who received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. Now, I want you to know something. Some people, I've heard some people say, well... Lenry Valley Chapel's kind of big. I wish we were in a littler church. And I don't know why that is. Sometimes I think it's because as a church grows, maybe you don't feel you're important enough. Some people like a bigger church because they can hide out. They don't have to do anything. But I want you to know, the first church started out as a mega church. I mean, 3,000 people got saved all at once, and it just continued day by day. And yet, they had this intimate closeness with God an amazing care for one another because God was doing it. God was doing it. So they were continually, verse 42, devoting themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the gospel, the word of God. They were devoted to the word of God. A lot of churches, you know, people move and they say, Pastor, do you know what a church in this town you could recommend? I said, well, I'll look on the... uh, web and see what I can see and then you're just going to have to go to that church because there's hardly a bad doctrinal statement on the internet. But do the people really live out that the Bible is the only rule for faith and practice? These people did. They devoted themselves to know the word of God. And what else? To fellowship. We tell you almost every week Are you involved in a small group? When we dismiss, just don't run fellowship. Today we have an opportunity for extended fellowship. We're going to go to the county fairgrounds, and you may sit with somebody that you've not met before. Meet them. Ask them the story of their testimony. That's what we do in this church. That's how you get to know someone. I was so impressed the first time I I visited Grace Community Church in California, 10,000 people on Sunday morning. And this has happened every time I've visited. You go and you sit in a place and there's some Christians in that service of the three that they have or four, I don't know how many they have, that you normally sit in that place and they introduce themselves to you and they say, tell us your testimony because they want to know, has God worked in your life? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your savior? In this early church, there were many people, but there was fellowship. Also, the breaking of bread, that's communion. That's what we're going to do this morning. Now, traditionally, we do it once a month. A lot of Baptist churches do it once a month because, well, we don't want it to be so ritual that we just kind of run through and nobody pays attention. But what if we did it every week and we didn't do it part of this service, but we did it in the afternoon? 
would the crowd be as big? Would be, be as dedicated to being around the Lord's table as we are when it's convenient, when it's a part of the morning service? They were. They were dedicated to it. Because Jesus said, when you are doing that, you're showing the Lord's death. You're telling people that your life is all about Christ, that everything you have, everything you are is because of Jesus. They were a Christ-centered church. And they were dedicated to prayer. Now, I want to tell you, when we announced a prayer meeting, you know, years ago, some years ago, we went to small groups and said, well, we'll probably get more people praying. And I think we have, but I think it's time, folks, for us to come back and have corporate prayer again. And it's not going to surprise me when we call for a corporate prayer on a Sunday afternoon or a Wednesday night. There won't be as many people. We have to have two services right now to hold all the people, and we still fill up. We could probably do three. But then it's prayer meeting, and well, I went to church this week. But this church was dedicated to finding out what does God want to do? Not what is the program or, or what are we doing that's cool, but what does God want to do? They were Christ-centered, therefore they needed to know what the Lord wanted them to do. What was the next step? You know, I hope that this church, I know our elders are, that our, our church is always characterized as learners, methetes. And the way you stay being a learner and not an expert. You see, you become an expert, you don't have to check with the Lord anymore. Well, we've always done it this way. Those are the last words of the church. This is the way we've always done it. We don't have to check. We don't have to pray. We don't have to go back to the word. We don't have to check with God because we just check our bank account, see what's in there and see if we can do it or not. We don't know if God's assigned us to something right now. And our elders, whether it's a discipline situation or a challenge or a new building, we're dedicated to prayer. And I think we need to redouble that dedication in, these, in this age so we can know exactly what God wants us to do. You know, if we just go by tradition and what we know, we become hardened. I will get into a rut. You know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with the ends kicked out. But if we're going to stay being learners and not experts, and I know that a lot of times young men have a problem. They go to seminary, all of a sudden they know everything, and they expect now, I know, I don't need to. That's not true. What seminary ought to be, which I think it is here, is a place you get tools so you can better seek after God and find out where God is leading us. What is God doing? They were dedicated to prayer. When there was a decision to be made, the church went to prayer. They were dedicated to prayer. That was, that was a family value. Do you know whatever nation, tribe, people group, or language you come from, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a part of his favorite nation. You're a part of his family, the family of God. And one day that family is going to be gathered all in one place. We see just a, a glimpse of it in Revelation chapter 5 where some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group gather and they sing together, worthy as a lamb. What a day that's going to be. And I think God loves that churches like this especially where we have people from all over the world come together. And we are the church. We are the family of God. We have these values. 
Over 20 years ago, Pastor Howe and I traveled to Thailand, and we didn't speak those languages. It wasn't like Spanish at all. And so we had to have an interpreter that time. And sometimes we met up in the mountains in pastor's homes that were grass huts. And sometimes we met at a camp just kind of on a, a porch of a grass house that's up on stilts, keep you out of the snakes and the bugs. And as we talked to those other believers and other pastors, you know what we found? As believers, they have the same values that we do because we serve the same God. Same values. The most important value here is worship. The next verse says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many signs and wonders were taking place to the apostles. They weren't awed by the church because of its building or programs or anything that reflected human ability, but the supernatural character of the life of this church. Now, we don't have signs and wonders today. God can still do miracles as God prays, as God's people pray. But we don't have miracle workers like they did in those days. But understand something. All of those were affirmation gifts about the greatest miracle, and that was salvation. All those were just affirming the message that would bring people to salvation. And we still have that miracle today. And we ought to be awed by it. I am. I never get over. Not only somebody making a decision for Christ, but watching God change their life. Where those values that were there in the early church become their values now. Not only did they feel a sense of awe, but they felt a sense of responsibility. It says there, and all those who would believe were together. You know what that means? They were all in. Whatever God wanted to do, whatever God assigned the church, they were all in. They were all in. Now, there wasn't like this big pot. They just threw it in the pot. Later in chapter 5, we see they, they began a fund because some of the widows weren't being ministered to, and so to make sure everybody... But normally... What the, church, what the church does and what God wants us to do is God has given abilities and opportunities and finances to individual believers. And when you see a need, you give to the need. John speaks to that in 1 John 3.16 when he says, Beloved, let us not love in word, but in deed and in truth. And if you see your brother has a need, you don't have to make a big deal about it. Just meet the need. But if you don't, and you have the ability to meet the need, but you just say, you know, brothers, I'm going to be praying for you about that need, but you don't give him what he needs. John asked the question, do you really have the love of God? How does the love of God dwell in you? If you see a brother have need and you don't want to reach out and meet that need. This church was all in. They didn't need a church building. They still had the temple. We live in a culture we have to have shelter from the elements. There was coming a time when they were going to be forced out of the temple and out of the synagogues. And churches would have to start building buildings and meeting places. But the church aren't those things. And what, when a need arises, whether it's a mission opportunity, as Acts 13, they sent Paul and Barnabas out to begin the work of reaching the world. Or it's a building project or it's people in the congregation that have needs. Are we all in? Or is Christianity like a bullet port on your resume? You know, you got when you were born, where you were born, 
your education, your achievements, your spouse, your children. Oh, yeah, that's right. I go to the evangelical chapel on Sunday. Or is Christ your life? Now, every, there was many of these people who are still working. Paul later says, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. You're not a good example if you're not working to f- take care of your family. So there were still things going on, but these godly families were satellites around the center family of the church. You know, most of our extended relatives, Christy and I, they live someplace else. Now our boys are around the world. We got Hannah and, and Andrew here. Everybody else took off and left. That's because we trained them to do that. We wanted them to go have an adventure for the Lord. But I want you to know something. Our family is you. Yes, we have relatives. We see them once in a while. We love them. We care for them. But the church is our family. And God wants every one of his people, because he's gifted you to be a part of what's going on, to be all in, like the early church. So what were they doing? They had these attitudes, these things they believed. Physically, what were they doing? Where were they at? How did they get it done? How did they live out that life? Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. It was a daily thing. I remember years ago sitting in a deacon's meeting and I don't know if it was a message my dad had preached, but one of the deacons said, well, I'll tell you what, I don't care what's going on. I'm not going to be at church every day. Okay. But if you had seen what God was doing, or you were facing persecution like the early church is about to go into, your pastors are getting beat and thrown into jail. You might be driven to come together to pray every day. You might have that appetite, that desire. And I know there's an anticipation With me, every Sunday morning, what's the Lord going to do today? We ought never lose that. Getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, I'm available. Lord, what are you going to do today? If God is real, the last family value is growth. Be amazed how many believers are just satisfied with what they have as far as seeing people come to Christ. Some of you have never led another soul to Christ, and you're okay with that. Well, that's, that's the job for the professionals. No, no, listen, that's a joy that you're missing out on. And I hope it becomes a burden in your heart as you look around and God places your loved ones, your relatives, those people you work with, those kids that play with your kids. And so you begin to pray, God, open their heart, open a door. I want to see somebody come to Christ. When I get to heaven, I want somebody there that I had an opportunity to minister to. We can't save anybody. But the Bible says in the last phrase there, and the Lord was adding to the church daily. Do we get to the place and say, well, we're big enough. We, we don't, we don't, you know, we're good. We're paying the bills. Why risk anything else? I mean, if we talk too much, we're going to risk we live in an adverse culture. Or do we have our eyes on the Lord and we expect the Lord to bless the gospel because he promised it's powerful seed. You see, true evangelism flows from the life of a healthy church. 
You don't have to have an evangelism program per se. You don't have to have evangelists comes in, come in if people are walking with God because it's just an overflow of their life. Warren Wiersbe said about this passage, the church was unified, it was magnified, and it multiplied. It had a powerful testimony among unsaved Jews, not only because of the miracles done by the apostles, but also because of the way the members of the fellowship loved one another. Remember what Jesus said in John 13? They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Father, we thank you for the challenge of the early church. And oh, we desire that same awe in our lives every day. Fill your children with your spirit. Or give us a desire to be all in with what you're doing so that we might be found faithful in our time, in our place. And Lord, there, there might be a harvest that one day when we gather with you, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.